This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Affairs at Greenlight Guru. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. Really excited about this one. Joining me on this episode of this podcast is Amir Fasihi. Amir is the founder and CEO of Amnion Life. Amir, welcome to MedTech True Quality Stories. Thank you, John. It's an honor to be here next to you guys. I'm a big fan of you and Greenlight, and it's good to be here. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And we're a big fan of what you're doing. I mean, one of the things we talk a lot about at Greenlight is improving the quality of life. And, you know, when I learned about what you're doing at Amnion Life, you know, <laughs> I can tell you take that that statement very, very seriously. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Amnion Life and, you know, why uh, the improving the quality of life matters so much to what you're doing. Um, well, first of all, for the listeners, Amnion Life, we are a medical device com- company that's focused solely on, at this time, on preterm infants and uh, the environment that these preterm infants are in uh, when they're born. You know, human beings until the eight months of pregnancy, they're, you know, they're designed for a fluid environment. At the eight months, there are all these uh, switches that start happening that prepare the body for the outside environment. And when they're born into the air environment, uh, we are still not there medically into providing the ideal environment that these infants can flourish and thrive in. And we're hoping to create better medical devices to improve that, that time gap when pregnancies are uh, interrupted earlier than, than there should be. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about like human life, your products, the things that you're developing and bringing to market are really about trying to improve the quality of life of, of maybe the most delicate patient group there is. Yeah. Yeah. This most delicate and it's an extremely uh, sensitive time because there is so much development and changes happening especially in the brain, as an example, that any minor insult or trauma from the environment could have devastating you know, um, consequences or decades-long consequences for the human body. I mean, we're talking about an infant or a human being that's less than a kilogram, and, you're ta- and then this human being is going to turn into you know, a 60, 70-kilogram person with you know, a lifetime of decades. And those moment-by-moment in the, in the NICU is... Really, they're, they're very critical times that, that we have a huge responsibility to try to get as close to, the, in my opinion, the gold standard, which is the womb, which is the, when, what nature has designed uh, for that stage. And that's the goal of our, com- uh, our company to, in the 21st century, create that in-womb and environment for these infants. So, uh, Amir, uh, tell me a little bit about your, your background. I know you're a physician, but tell me a little bit about your background. That, you know, and then I want to... I hear there's a dream that you had. <laughs> I want to get to that in a moment, but tell us a little bit about who you are and and, and maybe a little bit about the Amnion Life team as well. Sure, sure, of course. I left Iran when I was 12, immigrated to the United States with my parents, with family. Um, we settled in LA, 1985, and lived, I can call myself an LA kind of a 
uh, person, except that three years ago, I, I decided I have had enough of LA and moved down to Orange County, California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, as far as my education, I went to UCLA for undergrad. I went to UCSF for medical school, and then I was at USC for radiology, and then neuroradiology is my subspecialty. And I've um, been practicing teleradiology since about 12 years now, full-time. And I continue to practice um, radiology full-time while we're in the, still in the early stages of Amnion. And the dream that you mentioned is, it happened about, it happened, uh, I would say, four and a half, um, almost five years ago now. And we went on a very long family trip to uh, Europe. And one of the, the first stop was in London. And we met my wife's you know, family. And we had a little girl in our family that was born in extreme preterm. And that was the first time I was seeing her. She was about three years old when I, was, when I saw her. And we had heard, heard about the very difficult time, you know, in the NICU with the mom, the, the dad, and the, and the infant. And she had developed complications because she was extreme, extremely preterm. And when I saw her, it was really heartbreaking to see this wonderful little girl that, you know, now requires, you know, assistant, you know, uh, daily assistant. And, you know, had due to trauma and injury in the, in the NICU, the complications, you know, she will be suffering for a long time. And this went by and about three, four weeks later, we were at a stop in Paris. And at night, I had a very strange and vivid dream. And, um, you know, we can get into a dream later, but basically the, the, the gist of the dream was that the preemies should be in, in synthetic amniotic fluid. And I told the person, I said, that's, the, that's a great idea. I wish I had thought of that. What are you calling it? And then he said, amnion, and I woke up. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, when, when I woke up, I told my, uh, it was like 4.30 in the morning, and immediately I opened my phone, and I started searching synthetic amniotic fluid, and I saw there's nothing. Nobody's working on this one. Nobody's done anything. There are no patents on it. There's just nothing. Nobody, I just, I was just really puzzled about, you know, it's a simple concept. It's, it's not very, you know, complex idea, but I guess somebody had to have that, initiative the idea i'm sure you know people have had the idea before but there's somebody to have the initiative to start from just a scratch and from a dream and you know build the whole uh intellectual property and the company and the design and the team and and everything that was that really started from that day and i just became really passionate and obsessed about the whole whole idea and yeah. i just can't let go of it so let me make sure i heard you correctly so you you were on a, a trip and you had um, met with you know a family friend and learned about you know a preterm child of this friend, yeah. and and then a few weeks later, like that stuck in your subconscious, so to speak. Yeah. But a few weeks later, you had this dream about a way to to solve this challenge, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think that's the universe at work here. So, <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. I'm, and you know, it's a, it's a really an inspirational story. And as we talk today in the Unlife, I mean, give us a little bit of concept or context of where you are in this journey to bringing this product to market. Yeah. So, you know, in order to really build a complex device as this, you need to have a very dedicated uh, team, you know, well-qualified team. And I think that most of the work, you know, has been done just putting together the team for this. But as far as the technical aspect of it, you know, and, and as far as the team, going back to the staying on that subject for a little bit, I realized that, you know, this is going to be an extremely expensive project if I want to do it in the United States, as far as the engineering of this, 
there's going to be so many back and forths and so many, so many uh, turns that we're going to have to make that we're going to easily go over budget and over mostly over budget. But over time, we're going to do it anywhere. And I re- realized that I need to do it in a in a um, area where I can have a lot of trial and error, and you know, the, I, I, um, get as much out of the money as as possible and investments as possible. And I found Serbia to be a excellent place for for um, taking on this task because they have wonderful engineers. They've had this history of engineering, both in automotive engineering and military industrial engineering back in the 80s and 90s. And now they're transitioning into a new world in, in Europe. And, and I've had family members that are Serbian and I just thought it's a great place. So we build our, I build our R&D facility there with the help of my lead engineer, um, Milos Adunavnovic, uh, who's there in a town called Pozega. We have about several engineers now, you know, we have six or eight engineers now, full-time and part-time. Most of them are there locally, but then some of them are remotely helping. The rest of the company, as far as the regulatory, the business development, everything else here is here in the U.S. And legal um, as well in, in the U.S. So... That, that as far as the team, as far as the product itself, so basically in 2015, it was when, we, when I started with the uh, provisional patent application, which was just a very brief concept idea. A year later, I started the company in 2016, raised the first round of funds. A year later, I raised the second round of funds, built, the, built up the whole facility, the prototype. We did the two years of R&D. Uh, on the device, and we've done a lot. We've taken care of a, um, a lot of the risks and hazards that we've, we, as much as we could identify up until now. And now we're this year. Um, we built the prototype, procured all the parts. It's about it's a very complicated device with about 140 different parts, um, yeah. 13, subs, yeah, 13 subsystems. We procured all the parts, built the prototype, and now 2019 is when we're doing the all the testing of it, the preclinical testing, the verification um, sure. testing. And then we're hoping that 2020 will be our first clinical trials, first inhuman trial, uh, wow. for, you know, pilot study of five to 10 infants. Well, a couple of thoughts come to mind that I want to dive into a little bit. But folks, if you want to learn more about Amnion Life and their story, I would encourage you to go to their website. There's a lot of really fascinating information. You can learn a lot more about the team. And Amir, I want to compliment you at assembling such a, a wonderful team. It's a really great background. But you can find out more by going to Amnion dot life a m n i o n period l i f e no dot com just amnion dot life learn a lot more about the story but and i want to remind folks i'm talking to amir fasihi he is the ceo and founder of amnion life and by trade uh, amir is a radiologist which you know this is a product that that when it comes to market that I don't think a radiologist is going to use, but so, um, but talk a little bit about that, you know, the balancing being, you know, physician by day and and the founder and CEO of a startup at night or however you arrange that, what have been some of the challenges that you faced? You know, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of uh, medical device CEOs and founders that are, you know, early stage startups like me. And my issues are, are very different than some of the issues they have had. And the, the most important is that I, I haven't had the need to take salary from the company. And that's a, that's a big, huge help for a startup company because the entrepreneurs, they have to put their heart and soul and time into a company and now, and they need to pay rent too. So, you know, I had the privilege of, you know, having a second job where was, which was paying for my salary. Well, while I could get the company off the ground, 
And the, the luxury of my work, more than that, is that I work from home. I, you know, I, I'm a we do, I do teleradiology across about 30 more states, 30 or more states, about you know, two, 300 hospitals. I'm a credential then through our, our company. And I work in the evenings. Uh, I start work at 4 p.m. and I finish at midnight. So during the day, it gives me a lot of flexibility, a lot of time to do whatever I, what was on my mind, whatever, whatever I needed. I, I think this was a unique opportunity that very, very few people get uh, to have, uh, especially the entrepreneurs, that, which I had. Yeah, totally. And I, I think there's some divine intervention of some sort, not to wax too philosophical, or, but you know, the fact that this idea came to you in a, in a dream and the fact that your life circumstances and situation allow you uh, to yeah. be able to do this. I mean, I think this is really fascinating. And, and I know personally, I'm, I'm really excited to see how uh, Amnion Life and your products, the Amnio Bed, um, continues to evolve and eventually come to market here very, very soon. So you talked a little bit about the state of your prototype and, and the goal of being in preclinical here before too long. What are some of the other, I'll say, challenges that you faced? You know, so think of it in the context of maybe providing some tips and pointers to other entrepreneurs and vendors who might be listening to this podcast. Yeah. I mean, the first and most important thing I, I want to uh, say is that a lot of people ask me, how come nobody tried this before? And well, part of it is my life circumstances. As you said, it was just you know, um, happen chance. But part of it is that 20 years ago, we couldn't make this product, not because we didn't have the technology for it. But in my opinion, we didn't have the guidelines, the proper guidelines and the standards to guide us on to how to build a safe device. And I think initially, especially the first year, the FDA guidelines and the ISO standards were my best, best friend. I mean, because they, they were just telling me, what do I need to do in order to build this device? And a lot of that is just available. I mean, all of that is, you know, all the guidelines are available. I would say that if you're going into medical device, that one of the best things available in this industry, and that's not available in many other industries, is that it's regulated, which means for a first-time entrepreneur, it tells you exactly what you need to do. So, you know, that, it would be my first advice, Intel, take your FDA as your friend. Uh, we are just preparing our pre-stop application, but I just feel like at this time, you know, almost, you know, a lot of the questions we are, we've already have had answered is just more of a, you know, um, our pre-sub applications more introductory and, you know, getting to the meat of the matter. So that would be the, f the first thing I would say. Second is that, you know, you got to take it slowly and you take it in, in stride and with patience and, and within, with a startup. You're a new fish in the pond. Uh, there are much bigger fishes, companies that are already more, or startups are more mature or, you know, companies that, or you're working with as, as consultants, uh, who work, whether you're consultants or partners, and they have much bigger partners. So you got to really take everything in, in stride, you know, be patient, you know, take everything slow, don't rush things. I think that that would be the second biggest advice I can give in life. Just, you know, take it easy, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. uh, you know <laughs> when, you're, when you're starting, uh, take it just one day at a time. Thirdly, All right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else comes to my mind. Maybe when in the next question, something else will come pop, pop into my head. <laughs> I guess you mentioned something about, you know, this dream and about, 
you know, basically creating an environment that simulates amniotic fluid, if mm-hmm. I'm understanding correctly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess, I, you know, my, my engineering mind is, is fascinated by this. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it seems like there's like biocompatibility issues that you have to deal with. I mean, but how, do you, how do you create amniotic fluid? I'm guessing, you know, you can understand the chemical composition and makeup. I mean, is this something that you're able to extract that from, from the birth mother? How does all that work? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, good questions. First of all, we do know the content of the amniotic fluid. It's been studied, been studied since the 1970s. What we're creating, the synthetic amniotic fluid, is different than the womb in that it has all the minerals and electrolyte content of the amniotic fluid. It has the same pH and, and osmotic osmolality as, as the amniotic fluid. What it's missing are the, or all the organic molecules that are in the amniotic fluid. And because most of these organic molecules in the amniotic fluid are just sloughed off cells from the skin or urinary tract or from the lungs, most of these are not you know, critical in the development of the infants. But, but what, is diff- what is critical is that the osmolality, pH, temperature, and you know, the electrolyte mineral balance, it matches the womb. So how our system works is that our system gets hooked up to the hospital uh, water supply and waste stream. And the water from the hospital goes through a series of ultra filters, six different filters that uh, purify the water completely, remove all, every, every toxin and all the viruses and bacteria and it, all the compounds and any min, uh, minerals or uh, anything that's in the water. It becomes a, our goal is, uh, you know, it takes the water, turns it into a dialysis grade water, basically. That water then gets warmed, heated to the temperature that's uh, required. And there's going to be a little bit of debate as exactly what that temperature is going to be, which we're going to have to figure out in the clinical trials. And then there's a, there's a second pump that is a dosing pump that mixes a cartridge of uh, condensed amniotic, um, synthetic amniotic fluid that has the electrolytes and the minerals with the amount of water that is needed to create the balance um, that, is, that is required by the physicians. The physicians on, their, the, on the computer system can change the osmolality from 240 to 280, depending on the gestational age of the infant and the, the needs, water needs of the infant, the hydration needs of the infant. The infant sits on a uh, sterile uh, cover harness that gets um, changed routinely, and it's a consumable, it's a disposable uh, cover. Um, the, the infant, uh, the, the harness keeps the infants, uh, the harness goes over the chest, and there's also a pelvic strap similar to a car seat, keeps the infant level in the fluid, with the fluid always below the chin line on the infant. So the fluid never, uh, the infant's never completely submerged. It's, it's, a, it's a comfortable, safe bath in a way for these infants. And the fluid in the, in the chamber is continuously circulated. It's uh, cleaned, um, goes through UV filter, it's um, warmed, heated, um, and, it's, and it's detected for any stool material because if there is any stool material, there's automatic flushing of the fluid with fresh fluid coming in. The, the infant actually sits on what looks like a donut-shaped, you know, soft, comfortable toilet where as soon as there's defecation, there's, sens- there's sensors beneath it, then that they can flush the t- uh, fluid down. And when the infant is removed from the device, the consumable is thrown, um, the consumables are the cartridges and the, the covers are disposed of. And we have a second set of system, which is the, for the disinfection cycle of this device, where we have a cartridge with disinfectant and cover that comes in and just cleans the whole, whole system inside, inside of it, that kind of like a washing machine when in between patient use or whatever, uh, by, whatever the FDA is going to require us to, to maintain a clean environment. 
And then the computer system uh, manages the whole thing on it. So we have software and software validation, which we, we're going to have to do. We do have com biocompatibility, as you said, uh, plastics involved, um, especially the most important one is the one that Infin is, you know, it, it sits on. Initially, we're going to we're planning on 60 minute and 24 hour trials for these infants. But later on, we're hoping to, you know, go up to 28 days. So our biocompatibility will become much more strict and we, it's going to require us a lot um, tougher standards to meet because once these infants are going to be there more than 24 hours. Other issues that are, uh, we have water purification. We have to, you know, all, all those standards and, and uh, guidelines we have to make sure we abide by. Then we have so many different different things that, you know, come across. Um, there are chemical issues, you know, making sure that, Chris, you know, the fluid doesn't crystallize and things like that, which are, these are all solvable problems that, that we're going to do. And then also the catheter system, maintaining a clean catheter through the umbilical cord is going to be a, another challenge that, you know, we've, have, we've had some designs on it um, that we need to perfect and make sure we test it in the clinical trials. Wow. I mean, it's, this is, um, you're doing your homework. Um, and, and I think the thing for me that's the most impressive about what you're sharing so far is this is not your, um, your chosen uh, career path, so to speak. I mean, this is all things that you've had to learn and, and become an expert in above and beyond your normal day-to-day -day job as a radiologist. So, you know, for me, that's, that's very impressive that you're taking this on. Not the least of which, this is a complicated device. There's quite a few parts and pieces. How many parts did you say are and subsystems are involved? In the, in the prototype, is about 100, 140 parts so far, about 13 subsystems. Yeah. yeah. And they all have to work in concert with one another at the you know, moment in time. And, and yeah. you have to you know, explore, uh, I'm guessing here very soon, if, if you haven't already, some very robust uh, testing regimen to make sure everything is at the right point in time and you've got the right evidence to, to demonstrate this. We have to, we have to demonstrate everything. I mean, this is a, this is a live human being going into a system at a very, very critical stage in life. It has to be as safe as sending an astronaut on a, you know, spaceship, you know, to, to the moon because you need to keep them alive. Yeah. And everything needs to, you know, be tested. Everything needs to be, make sure it, you know, it, there are no issues with other systems and, you know, we have the, luckily we have the technology to, to organize everything. And not only that, in the last year, we've also put together the R&D for the artificial placenta and we have that patent pending. And once we have that in place, it's going to be even more complicated because it just adds a lot, a lot of issues, but a lot of um, level of complication. But as long as you are, you have used the right tools that we have, and, and that's why we came on Greenlight Guru that, you know, initially when, when I started the company, I, I looked. You know, I was looked around and I thought, okay, this is what I need. And I put it on my wish list. I couldn't do it in the first round. And then as soon as we got the money to the second round, I thought this is what we need because the tools, everything from project management to document management to you to this, you need to make sure that everything that you do, you're doing it right one time. You know, you're not going to have to come back to it again and again and again. And just keep going forward and just believe that you have Every, all the tools and all the knowledge out there. And I don't, I'm not the one 
I don't have to invent, I don't have to be an engineer, I don't have to be a clinician, clinician a neonatologist, you know, I have to be able to manage everybody. And I feel a lot, a lot of times like a conductor in an orchestra, where I bring in somebody and say, can you play violin? Yeah, can you sit over here? This is the score. Can you play the food? Yeah, can you sit over here? And this is the score. This is, and then just making sure everybody is playing in, in harmony. The closest thing I can relate to as far as personal experience I've had is when I was in medical school and internship and we used to do our ICU rotations, CCU, ICU. Uh, and as an intern, you were there 24-7 with the patient, you know, 100 hours, of, 100 hours a week. And at any moment, there would be a consultant or a attending walking in who knew tremendously more about, about you know, the kidney or the heart or, you know, everything than you. And you had to just make sure that, you know, the person writing the prescription on the, on the renal issues is not going to have a problem with the cardiologist and cardiologist is not going to have a problem with attending. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's on, uh, you know, on the same page. And you happen to know less than anybody, but you're in charge to make sure that everybody is just working in, in concert with everybody else. So as far as my role as a CEO, that's how I see it. I, I try to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, who know more than me, who can provide me a good advice and then uh, help them bring the best out in them and help them bring out the best for the, for the whole company. Cause otherwise, you know, this for me, I don't need to become an expert in all these. I'm making a company and it's going to be, you know, five years going to be acquired and I don't need to be an ex expert in water purification or this and that. I just need to make sure that we have the experts in place for, to do it. Wow. That's really well said. And folks, that's really great advice. If you are a startup, uh, especially a startup CEO or an executive, uh, listen to Amir's advice. I've never heard it described better in, in my 20 plus year career. You know, make sure that you surround yourself with a good team and don't feel like you have to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, uh, there's something to be said by surrounding you, yourself with people who are smart. It just, it raises, I know for me at Greenlight, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are smarter than me and it just elevates my game. It, it, it increases my abilities, both in the context of Greenlight, but just as a human in general. So that's really, really well said. So thank you for sharing that. Amir, I guess give folks a little bit of a, I mean, you're solving a real problem here too. I think that's the other thing that's really exciting. Not only is it for, you know, the most delicate of humans uh, on the earth, you know, preterm birth children, babies, but this is a real concern. I mean, this is a, a prevalent issue, unfortunately, that, that happens quite often. So how big of an issue is this? I myself didn't realize how big an issue it is until I looked at the numbers and I, I couldn't believe it. It's actually the number one cause of infant mortality in the United States. And I, I, I was like, I was shocked because I, you know, you think of diseases and things like that, but you don't realize a preterm pregnancy is a category of a I guess a disease in, in, a, in a way that can cause, you know, morbidity and mortality. And it's actually the number one cause of children's death globally below the age of five. So this is a big problem. About one out of every 11 human beings are born preterm. About a third of those are born very preterm or extreme preterm, which is what our device is built for. We're not built for the late preterm ones, the 32 to 36 weekers, mostly for the 22 weeker to 28 weeker. Uh, population. Uh, about 400,000 infants in the United States every year are born preterm. About a third of all those are the ones that can really need our, uh, can really use our, our device. So these infants, um, when they're 
you know, you know, there are about a thousand hospitals, eight, eight, nine hundred hospitals that have level three or level four NICUs that can cater to this patient population, about 27,000 beds total. So as far as the issue with these, the why uh, or, the, or the prevalence of it is that um, these infants acquire or are, have 13 different complications or what we call comorbidities that occur because of the preterm birth when it happens. The infant at that moment presumably is a healthy infant, you know, as a 50th percentile in height and weight. And when they come into the NICU, you know, they have very thin skin that up to 26 weeks is actually permeable to water. So they start losing about a lot of evaporative water loss. They don't have a subcutaneous fat to insulate them from heat loss, and their blood vessels are very close to the skin. So they start losing heat loss, and with evaporative water loss, you are also losing evaporative heat loss as well. And their, temp, their um, weight actually um, continues to drop uh, when they're in the, in, initially in the NICU because mostly about a water loss, about 10 to 20, sometimes 10 to 20% of their weight they, they lose. And when we try to give them more IV fluids, which you, know, you would think it would help, um, the IV fluids at high rates cause organ injuries, especially lung, chronic lung, lung disease for these um, infants. And we don't know uh, what um, exactly with the mechanism for that. And so and these infants, when they're losing heat, and uh, they don't have any mechanism, mechanism to warm themselves, um, you know, such as shivering mechanism, that, that, that gets developed in the humans you know, towards, towards nine months, not at that age. They don't have brown fat, which is used to generate heat. And they don't have the musculoskeletal activity movement that some of the term infants have. So they start uh, increasing the metabolism in order to generate heat. And that increase in metabolism is using up calories, which decreases the rate of growth. Their weight is, they're not gaining the weight as they should. So this leads to more prolonged days in the NICU, wherefore extreme preterm averages about 110 days in wow. the NICU. And they call them uh, million dollar babies because wow. by the time they, they, they leave, that's, that's such a the price tag uh, for, for them. So that's, our goal is to increase the velocity of growth while they're in the NICU. So, you know, they don't, you know, they don't start losing weight, but they can continue gaining weight because the biggest hurdle for them discharging is their volume, their weight, where they can, you know, they can get to a point that they're not, um, they don't lose as much um, heat to the environment that they can um, thermoregulate. So we're trying to improve the rate of growth in the NICU, thus decreasing the length of stay for these infants. And the, the numbers that we've done is that if we can reduce the length of stay by, for the, for, uh, in the NICU uh, by just three days, that's a $1.1 billion savings um, in healthcare overall. Holy and cow. That's, yeah, that, that's just a direct savings and uh, indirect savings of you know, organ injuries and brain injuries and all that. I mean, we can agree that's priceless. So there's, I mean, there, there are no direct numbers that we can have, but it's just a um, tremendous uh, uh, way uh, for us to, you know, improve our healthcare. Wow. I mean, so, you know, what I, I mean, it's, that's fascinating. I mean, if you think of a human body as really comprised of a, a system of systems, if you will, that all have to work in concert with one another and in these preterm birth these, these, you know, early term babies, they, their systems aren't established. So the, the amnio bed is essentially, basically, um, I mean, it's a, a way to, to help these babies develop those systems so 
that, you know, they'll be able to survive on their own. I mean, I, this is just fascinating. You know, exactly. It, exactly. And two of the systems that are most underdeveloped are one is the skin, um, which Amniobet directly uh, addresses. And the other one is GI and the, and the lungs. And that's where the second product, the artificial placenta is going to focus on to help improve the in complications arising from the underdeveloped lungs and, and the GI tract for these infants. All right. Well, Amir, this has really been fascinating. I appreciate you sharing so much about your story and about Amnion Life. Is there anything else that you want folks to, to, to know about you, about Amnion Life, ways that we might be able to help? Anything else at all before we wrap up this episode of MedTech no, no, Quality Stories? Nothing. Nothing that I can think of. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be at your program, John. You do a wonderful job for the med device community and industry. And this is a wonderful community and an industry to be in. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. And your team at Greenlight Guru is one of, one of them. And you guys play an important role helping us early entrepreneurs get into the system. And, you know, this is the growth factor for the future of the you know, healthcare. You know, the, the economy of the healthcare starts from, you know, people just start from, you know, ideas and you guys are there to help them. That's great. I, I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. And, and thank you for saying so. Folks, there are times uh, where I feel like I am the most blessed person and have the, the best job in the world. And when I have a chance to talk to folks like Amir Fasihi, uh, I feel that um, more than, than ever. So uh, Amir, really the pleasure has been all mine to have a chance to chat with you today. Folks, check out what Amir and his team are doing. Go to amnion.life, learn a whole bunch more about their progress. Keep an eye on, on Amir and his team. It sounds like they're really, truly great things that, that they're going to be bringing to market here very, very soon. And of course, you know, very focused on improving the quality of life. Uh, as always, if you want to learn how you can leverage Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform to help you bring your product to market and help you manage your design and development activities and, and risk and, and documents and CAPAs and complaints and all the things that you need to do from, as a medical device professional, uh, those ISO requirements and FDA requirements that Amir mentioned earlier, the Greenlight system is built in alignment with all of those criteria and regulations and, and requirements that you need to focus on as a medical device professional. So I would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. 